at SAFM Radio and at Mesh Constant on SAFM. It's 8.43 and uh, we're looking at a word domination. Now, as I mentioned, Time of the Writer Festival is running until the end of today, the 21st of March. And it is online, so you, all you have to do is go onto the website, TOW dot ukzn.ac.za I'll give that to you again www.tow.ukzn.ac.za I had the absolute fortune of moderating a conversation called Writing in the Time of COVID and uh, there were a diversity of uh, panelists some of who have been on this show and spoken about the issues of COVID, etc. But it was such a phenomenal conversation. The panelists were the author Helen Moffat. She's an author, she's an editor, a writer, a poet. Also, Professor Nadia Davids, wonderful author. She's a writer, she's a theatre maker, she writes plays, and she's a scholar. Then we had Coralie Trotter, who we have had here on the show. She's a healthcare practitioner, a psychoanalyst, and in particular, she lobbies very strongly for mental health. She was very involved in the life Essidemani case. We we also had someone who we've had here on the show, Dr. Emmanuel Taban, the pulmonologist who wrote a wonderful book about his travels as a 15-year-old and a refugee from South Sudan to South Africa. I started off the conversation by asking Professor Nadia Davids to read something that she'd written during that time. This was um, an essay that I wrote uh, within the first 40 days of the lockdown when I was trying to I suppose, find my way through the disorientating, grief-soaked moment that we all found ourselves in. At first, you wake up each morning determined to make something of your day. You will be your best self. You will feed your children, homeschool without complaint, entertain them, be entirely present. You will work, exercise, meditate, practice mindfulness, make lists, both to do and gratitude. Clear clutter, take up an art project, read, bake, plant herbs, plan meals, set aside time to speak to friends. You will obey all the instructions and injunctions of self-care. In doing so, you've been assured you will build resilience. You will defend against despair. By the time the night comes, you never want to hear the word resilience again. Your day takes on a new rhythm. Each morning is thus. Read news, heart cracks, mind scrambles, chest tightens, close laptop, wash hands, bake, smell your baby's sweetly damp head. He is new to the world, just arrived. His age and the length of the lockdown will become intertwined. You draw him close at every opportunity and wonder what sort of world you will show him while you try to explain to your six-year-old that he can't go outside for a few days. You go over every interaction with maskless persons during those rare forays when you do go out. Did they come too close? Did they cough, sneeze, wheeze, close in beyond two meters? You resolve never to leave the house again. You bake, read news, homeschool, bake, wash hands, allow yourself to entertain conspiracy theories, berate yourself for entertaining conspiracy theories, think I really should rise about this, try, fail, think actually it's hard enough to rise about this, I don't want to live it. You feel wild flashes of envy towards people who have big gardens, followed by waves of guilt about people who have nothing. This disorientating toggle between two opposing states becomes the most predictable thing about your day. You think, is my chest tight? And ask your husband, does my chest sound tight to you? You're fine, he answers. You're okay, I promise. You listen to your six-year-old tell you about last night's mare, when a giant fly, the bug, crawled up the side of the house and into his room and even you couldn't defeat it. He looks worried as he tells you this. It's okay, you say, it was just a dream. 
Thank you so much, Nadia. You know, you speak for, for so many of us with that particular article. And yet what's interesting about it is that you never ever refer to yourself in the first person. And I was thinking it's a bit like Tsietsi uh, Dangaremba's this mournable body. It's a kind of distancing of yourself. And I wondered, did you feel that that's what you were doing when you were writing? I'm not sure. I mean, I think sometimes it's a strange thing. And I don't know if, if Helen would speak to this as well, is that sometimes the, the style of the form just sort of announces itself. And I don't, don't really think too much about um, whether it's a play or a poem or first person or third person. I just sort of go with what what's coming. And yet at the same time, and I'm somebody who minds my own life a lot for writing, this is the most personal, most revealing piece I've ever written. And so it was interesting to me that I was kind of detailing the miniature of my own day and my own crazed neurosis during this time. And yet it seems to be the thing that's connected with, with quite a wide spectrum of people. So that, that for me was very interesting as well, that, um, you know, we always think that our neurosis is so particular to ourselves until we, we share and then suddenly it's, yeah. I want to take what Nadia was saying to you, Coralie, as a psychoanalyst. Um, if, if you could try and frame this time for us. I mean, in my discussions with you, we, we've spoken about trying to make meaning. And for some writers, it's a time to make meaning. For other writers, it's virtually impossible. And Helen will talk to that later, to make meaning at all. I wonder if you could just maybe frame it for us. It's interesting how, how Nadia started her reading with she was determined to be her best self. And I think that in the beginning, that was a sort of a common trend that everybody was going to be their best selves. And actually, that was very unlikely um, to be the case because most of our coping and defense mechanisms were stripped during this time and lockdown just amplified that in terms of literally taking away concrete um, coping and defense mechanisms. Um, also, it has been a disaster because of the extent of the damage and the loss, and it is dystopian because there's such massive dysregulation on so many levels. And, and a huge amount of energy goes into having to navigate that. Whether we're aware of it or not, the way we usually take things for granted fell away for us. And so energy has to be invested in learning about the world again, what's safe, what's not safe, exactly as Nadia um, was writing. And we're an economy. So when we've used up our energy, we've used up our energy. So if we get to the point then that we're overwhelmed, it's very hard to be our best selves. There can be a point where there's enough processing um, that then the turbulence um, can promote growth um, and creativity. But it's a, it's, a, it's a real balancing act, and the harder it is inside or, or in terms of the world outside, in the home, you know, kids helping them with school, not having a home, not having money for food, the more energy that demands, the harder it is um, to be creative and to play. But, and the harder it is just to have leisure time, you know, all kinds of things are impacted upon. So Coralie, I mean, I think that um, Nadia used the term to defend against. And one of the things, and I must just say to our listeners here, that um, I I've had this incredible opportunity of speaking to all our um, panelists privately and separately to this conversation. And there was so much profound stuff that came out. And I'm hoping that I can tease some of that stuff out and weave it through. But but when Nadia talks about defending against certain things, one of the things you spoke about, Coralie, 
was the idea of the Buddhist theory of the near enemy. And I wonder if you could just explain that for us in this particular context. Yeah, that, you know, the, the problem in a situation like this is, um, unfortunately, we need radical doubt and radical hope because we're having to learn from scratch about the, well, not from scratch, but we're having to relearn about the world we live in, new rules. But the biggest difficulty is that we are meant to seek out people. And in this situation, we're not only losing affection, connection, um, hedonism with other people, the other person is actually the threat, the danger, the host. And so, so what that does when people are taking such strain, and you can see it in the world over the last year, is the intolerance of difference and the hatred of difference is amplified. Um, and so it can seem as if the way you're going about something is helpful, but in fact, it's, it's what the Buddhists would call a near enemy, which is it's very close. It looks like the real thing in terms of being able to cope meaningfully, but it's actually not the real thing. So, for example, um, the, the denial, this belief that we would be our best selves, that sounds, that sounds wonderful. Who doesn't want to be their best self? Um, but actually, that was going to be very hard. So then that can become a thing that tortures you. Because now on top of struggling to cope, you've also got this version of yourself that's being dented that you're not being the best version of yourself. And why can't you be the best version of yourself when you've got all this time available? I kept hearing people say that, I've got all this time available and I'm not doing this and I'm not doing that. And so that's the kind of thing that's a near enemy where it seems as if it's helpful, but in fact it's not. And you know, as the year has gone on, we really now are sitting in a situation of traumatic loss, um, complex, multi-layered loss. You and I were talking about this, Michelle, before, where it's not just that somebody you love has COVID. It is also that you may not be able to see them. Um, it is also that you can't have the conversations you want to have. So all these layers mount up. And, and so actually it's got more difficult over the course of a year in terms of being our best selves. Our best selves at the moment are selves that um, know, we know the world has changed, we've got to learn again, we've got to adapt, and we've, we've got to question. That's what radical doubt is, but radical hope is, I can't articulate what the future will be like yet. I don't even know if I can conceive of it, but there will be a future. That was Coralie Trotter, who was one of the people speaking on a panel about COVID-19 and writing. And you can follow the rest of it. Interesting and fabulous commentary by uh, Dr. Emmanuel Taban, who we had here on the show for an hour as a guest presenter, and also the author Helen Moffat as well. And speaking in that section of it, you heard none other than the uh, Nadia Davids, Prof. Nadia Davids, the author, and also Coralie Trotter, the psychoanalyst. So the Time of the Writer Festival finishes today uh, at the end of the day, 21st of March. And as we mentioned this afternoon, there will be a uh, conversation around moderating poetry for human rights and poetry for human rights. It will be the poet Sipokazi Jonas and Malika Ndlovu as well. So listen up for that one. We asked you to send in your choice songs as part of the Big Fat Juicy 
Peter sent in this choice and he said, Hi Michelle, after telling us that your theme is human, the first song that popped up into my mind is Biko by Peter Gabriel. The rights he strove for speak volumes for the then apartheid situation in the mid-70s, but the song was immediately banned. I remember I managed to get his album and to this day still carry the drama of his death and his dreams and hopes for this country. His name will live forever. That's Peter's Big Fat Juicy.